Barry and Ella have been part of our leadership team really for the past six years at, at Vintage. They've been behind the scenes. A lot of you don't know them, uh, but you know them from their story. For the last year, we've been praying for their grandson, Wilkes, and we're going to hear more about him in a little bit. You can just come stand right here and just look pretty because it's, it's not hard for you. So, um, but they've been serving on our leadership team for the last six years, and, and it's been a long year. It's been a long year. Gary will share that a little bit later just about some of that, what's going on, but uh, but in that, they came to us about a month ago and said, we love vintage. We're not going where, but we need it. We need a break. We need a sabbatical, just a time to rest and a time to heal. I got I just said, no, I'm just kidding. I said, whatever the Lord's leading us to. And we cried. And um, and so so I just want to say, first and foremost, thank you guys. As of today, this is the last day officially on the leadership team. Um, and we just want to say we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you very, very much. So clap for them. We do have we do have a small gift for you. I'll give it to you. And uh, and Gary, why don't you just come down here with me? We're going to pray for you guys just real quick. I'm just going to pray, and you can stand right here. And uh, so, Father, we thank you. You can just pray along with me. Father, we thank you for Gary and Ella. We thank you for their friendship. We thank you for them being family here at Vintage. I pray, God, in this season of obedience of pulling back for the purpose of finding you in a deeper and more clear way. I pray, Jesus, that you would give them peace, God, in the stepping back. I pray, Father God, that you would give them um, a, a, a very clear uh, awareness of you walking with them in this season. And then, God, when the time is right, I pray, God, that you would then commission them again into whatever you have for them. But, God, I pray today that you would restore them. I pray that you would renew them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray, Father God, that you would return a deep, heartfelt laughter to their lives. I pray, Father God, for the joy of your Holy Spirit to flow like a mighty, mighty, mighty rushing river through them. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would then get to taste of the goodness of God in their lives here at Vintage as we're in relationship with them. God, thank you for them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, well, I have invited Gary. Gary, like I said, been part of the leadership team and still on the finance team and for off and on, honestly, over the last six years. And, and so I invited him to come up today and, and just kind of share with you where we are financially. Simply the reason being is this. We recognize over the last couple of years we haven't really shared much, and we feel like it's, a, it's good practice to keep you in the loop of what's going on. So I've invited him to come and kind of just share uh, with us the um, just kind of what's going on. And, and so, Gary, why don't you just kind of give us an overview and the things you want to share with us this morning? And all right, be great. It's a lot more people this time around. Yes, don't be nervous, man. They're all naked. All right, here we go. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, let me start out with a year-end offering because that's something that is so close to the, to the, the recent past. Uh, just so you know, and it's, this is a, a praise and a glory to our Lord and Savior. Uh, we used to call this thing the Happy Birthday Jesus offering back in the old days. Um, but you guys know, and Steve talked about what we were going to use those funds for. The, the final tally was $114,000. And that is a praise God from whom all blessings flow. Glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, from that... One of the things we were talking about doing was providing life-sustaining gifts for members of this body who are, who are going through difficult times, who are having hard times getting, making ends meet and needing to have a bill paid and that sort of thing. And we paid out several dollars for that. Um, the remainder we set aside, as was discussed back in December, for, for, the, for the three things, discipleship, missions, and family. 
and broken down further than that, a, uh, an orphan and widow's fund, uh, mission seed money, and a couple of other things along that line. So y'all let me know. I, we're not going anywhere. If you need to have any more details, we will gladly provide those details. Any of us, Steve, uh, leadership teams, David and Elaine. Um, but, but please talk to us if you have any questions about any of this stuff. I want to give you just a real quick history of, of Vintage 242. June of 2009 was the first financial meeting of Vintage 2042. And, uh, I was, we were there uh, at Riverstone. You guys remember a lot of the things that have gone on since then, those that have been with us since the, the early days of uh, meeting in, in, in the lobby of Riverstone and uh, having the coffee houses. And we've, um, let's see, we've had floods, more than one. We've had a flood in Powder Springs and we had a flood in this building. We've had um, sicknesses, many sicknesses. And I look out here and I can see several people who have gone through sicknesses and are to this day, heal. Glory to God. Praise Jesus for that. Some of these things have just been something. Um, we've even had a tick-borne disease this past year uh, that my wife got. So uh, thank you for all of the, your, your prayers and the blessings of that. Over the years financially, our Lord has blessed us as well. So much so that aside from these specific reserves we've been talking about for uh, missions and future facilities and things of that nature... Uh, we've had abundance as it relates to, to uh, I started to use the term retained earnings. We won't use that term. Uh, to having more income than expenses that, that has accumulated in the last five years. It's been wonderful to see that. Uh, as a result, what's happened this year uh, was a little bit of a surprise, but God is good and his mercy endures forever. This year was the first year, 2014, was the first year in our history that expenses exceeded income or exceeded contributions, giving, uh, by a significant amount, $60,000. That was a kind of an eye-opener for us, but at the same time, the Lord had provided an abundance, and as interesting as almost that exact amount of money that, that had been accumulated, so God is good even there. Uh, so with that... Just so you know, a little more detail there. On the expense side of things, obviously, as with most all of us, your housing, facilities, salaries and utilities and things like that, those make up the bulk of your expenses. From an expense standpoint, the um, salaries, we have two people that are full-time employees, only two. It would be Steve and Scott. The other three or four people that we have on staff are part-time. They don't get any benefits, of course. But so, so there's, there's not a lot of money that we are spending lavishly on as far as salaries go either. And all of those who know Ms. Randall, who was up here praying just a minute ago. She stepped out, I guess. Um, Randall has, has given. She's been with uh, Vintage since the beginning, of course. And she, those who, who know her know this. She spends 50 to 60 hours a week at Vintage, doing Vintage stuff. She doesn't get paid anything, not anything. So with that said, just so you know, what we've done for 2015 as a, as a finance team, the leadership team, have uh, made some cuts. We've cut our expenses, our expense levels, to, uh, to, so that we won't run into this again in 2015. Uh, and we... And we 
our trust in the Lord that he will provide as he always has. And we know that he will. So with that said, we think that um, 2015 will be a wonderful year. We, we know that he's going to take care of us. Anyone wanting any details, that means income statements, balance sheets, discussions with any of us, please come see me or Steve or any of us, and we'll be glad to tell you anything that you want to know. We want to be transparent completely. But that's where we're at. Now, what I really came up here for, <coughs> talk about Wilkes. You mentioned Wilkes, right? I think you did. We have a grandson. <coughs> this gets a little emotional from time to time. We have a grandson named Wilkes. Wilkes has just uh, turned one, years old, one year old. Six weeks from now will be a year ago when he was ten weeks old that he uh, was diagnosed with a very rare blood disease called HLH. <laughs> and um, this past year, we have learned a whole lot about things. Learned a lot about things we wished we had never had to learn about, like HLH, what the survival rate is, 20%. The bone marrow transplants and chemo and medications and side effects, and the list goes on and on. But the Lord has been there for all of this. And we've also been on the roller coaster ride, but we've also learned a lot of other things that he has taught us. And that's about the power of prayer. Um, we've learned that his faithfulness, how much he desires to, for us to ask him and to meet our every need, and how much he wants us to get enlist. Other people, other prayer warriors, people who will stand on the walls and, and, uh, and be watchmen on the walls for you day by day. And we've seen that many times, uh, daily, many times a day. Um, as, as Harvest Song says, uh, we need to be reminded. We don't only need, need to be reminded, we have to be reminded. And we should, and we do love to be reminded of the great things that our Lord and Savior does for us. And in doing all of this, the one thing that we've learned that I want to share with you for, and, and encourage and, and, and edify and hopefully uh, give you something to, to, to hang on to is that shared prayers answered glorify God. So often, uh, our pastor, Charles Sinath, who was the, the founding pastor of Riverstone back in the day, uh, said that, that quoted that to me very, very early on, and it really stuck with me that if we ask people to pray and then the prayers are answered and we don't share that with people, then how are they to know if their prayers are answered, how things are going, and to lift up our, our Lord and Savior? And it glorifies him when he does that, and he, when we do that, and he wants to be glorified. Uh, I want to share this with you. We all have testimonies to share of God, of what all he's done in our lives. Again, I can look out here and I can see several people who've had testimonies, who've shared those testimonies. And those edify the, bodies, the body and those provide encouragement to all. So I would ask you, that many times I think we receive answers to our prayers, but we forget to tell, tell anybody what God has done. And I think that's, um, I want to encourage you not to waste those opportunities to build up the body. 
I think many times that the enemy tries to trick us into thinking that we don't need to tell people what's been done, that maybe it's just a small prayer answered. It's not worth really sharing and that sort of thing, but, but that's just a trick of the enemy. See me sometime and I'll tell you the button testimony if you want me to. I would encourage you to tell Steve, to tell Scott, if you've got something to share. I know there are many, many, many in this room that have testimonies to share. And those need to be shared as we walk in our daily lives with the Lord. So uh, he, wants to be, he wants to be glorified. Uh, I would say one thing. Share them in humility. As a, an old uh, commercial on television, I'll, I'll kind of do a takeoff on Stay humble, my friends. And Ella and I love you guys. So, glory to God. Praise Him. It was really cool the other morning. We just sat down and Gary pulled out his phone and showed us a video of, of Wilkes doing the worm on the, uh, on the floor there, I guess, Rebecca's kitchen. And uh, it was just really cool just to watch and see God doing that. Well, this morning, listen, I know it's already, we've already gotten to about 12 o'clock, so I'm going to take like five minutes, I promise. Maybe 10, but probably five. So, um, so just a couple of things. One, you know, in the context of, of the season that we're in at Vintage, we've been talking about this amazing work of God that he wants to do in our lives. And this picture that, that Laura painted this morning really is for me, an example of this, she came and said, I just had this picture that God's giving me of, of, of this water pouring down, this flower blooming. And I love that picture because for some of you this morning and for someone in particular, this is a picture of your life. Because the idea of flowers, you know how they are, you know, come, come, like right now they're lying dormant. And the fact is, for so many of you in your own life, you came this morning because if you're honest, you feel dormant. Like that's the feeling. I, maybe you wouldn't have used that when you first came in, but if you're honest, you would say, "Man, in my life and everything, in my marriage, with my kids, with my job, I feel like I'm dormant. I feel like I'm just still. I feel like nothing's really going on. I feel this tension. I feel this like inside of me, whatever it may be. But I remember God speaking in this season that is the nature that of 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 the water of His presence that. That when he comes with the rain of his presence, right, that he comes, he says, I want to pour myself out the love of a father upon us. He wants to lavish. I love that word. I don't even know what it means exactly, but I think it just fits. Lavish. I'm like, pour out without, I'm just going to make it up, right? Pour out without measure, right? Unlimited in the what he wants to pour out. And I love this picture because we see this flower that at one point was dormant, but as the, as the rain came and the presence of God began to move, there's just this Blooming. And the beautiful piece about blooming is that you understand that in the natural, for all of you who went to school and you learned about meiosis and mitosis, I don't know what that means, I just remember those words, right? But you see all these pictures of the, uh, like the photosynthesis, and this is like going back to like fifth grade here, right? Photosynthesis and all these stories, all these pictures, that everything in the natural, points to a spiritual reality of what God wants us to understand about him. And so when we see this something lying dormant, and all of a sudden these refreshing rains come, and, all, and the sun shines down, all of a sudden the flower begins to bloom. There's a transformation. And I think the picture I want us to have even in this season is, 
is there's this work of God in the, in the lavishing of His love, the pouring out without measure of the Father's heart for you that He wants to awaken inside of us. I want to read from, uh, from Luke this morning and just talk about it very briefly. I'm going to put it up on the screen, Hayden. From Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, it says this, after remember Timothy last week talked about redemption, redeeming these things in our lives and and redeeming our relationships, redeeming our beliefs, redeeming our priorities. Redeem. He wants to trade broken things for God things, right? He wants to redeem something broken for, for God things. And he wants to redeem these pieces, right? So he's just redeemed in the life of the paralytic. He's just redeemed. He's traded brokenness for healing in the life of the leper. And he says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. This is Matthew, the gospel writer of Matthew, okay? Saw, he was a disciple. Saw the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. He, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. I love that. Jesus defended his disciples. That's pretty awesome, right? Jesus answered them, hey, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, idiot. I added that part, but the sick, right? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the picture I want you to begin to see very clearly in this is tax collectors were called leeches. Tax collectors were considered by the Pharisees to have no ability to be redeemed or to repent and have relationship with God and be back in the community of faith, right? Tax collectors were basically Jews who had become traitors and who had connected with the pagan Roman Empire to exploit and to take money from those who they were actually family with. Then you see the Pharisees over here. Listen, you got to stop giving the Pharisees a bad rap. The Pharisees were awesome. The Pharisees said, we hate the Roman Empire. We hate what they stand for. We don't want our culture to be stolen from us. We, want, we don't want them to, 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 uh, to confuse us. We don't want them to steal from us. So we're going to remain pure. We're going to fight against them. We're going to remain pure. We're going to remain holy. We're going to study these purity laws. We're going to stay true to all these things of the law so that we don't get tainted and fall over into the dark side. They are, in our context of America, they are the, and I don't mean this in any kind of political way at all, but they're like a modern day Tea Party. We're going to stay true to the Constitution. Constitutionally, we're going to stand for conservative values, right? That kind of mentality. So, and so a lot of us in here love the Tea Party. So we love the Pharisees because that's what they did for Judaism. We're not going to let this pagan culture infiltrate us and steal us away from being God's people. But what we see, so what we see is two polar opposites. Tax collectors and Pharisees. And for the sake of those of the story, I want you to think about prodigal son and elder brother. They are parallel stories. The prodigal son who is part of the family but run away, right? Levi. Like you recognize he's Matthew called Levi because he was a Levite. He was a, of the priestly order. He had turned his back on being a priest, okay? 
And so here's a Levite that's gone over here, a priest who's gone over here and says, I reject God and reject my people. So they're on one side, prodigal son. The flip side over here, we have, we have the Pharisees, the elder brother. They've done everything right all their life and only done and followed the law and do what they've done what they're supposed to do. And so we see these two polar opposites over here. And then Jesus enters into the scene. And Jesus all of a sudden does this incredible work of changing perspective. All of a sudden he says, I, number one, I want you to recognize, I want you to recognize in the context of, of Pharisees, in the context of, 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 of the tax collectors who are the worst of sinners, number one, I want you to recognize Jesus doesn't run from sinners, he runs to them. Jesus doesn't run away from the impure. Jesus doesn't go unclean. Jesus doesn't look at the worst of the sinners and say, I cannot hang out with you because you're going to soil me and make me dirty, right? He doesn't, he doesn't get, ever get worried that he's going to fall away from the faith. He says, no, I'm going to run to the sinner. I'm going to, listen, the prodigal father, listen, he runs to the son. Jesus initiates relationship. He initiates conversation. And then they, he gets invited into the home. And listen, listen. listen it says he reclines with them. Listen, if I come to your house and I lay on the floor, it means I've really connected well with you. Because that would be awkward. But he's reclining with sinners, which represents this idea of him coming in and saying, I accept you, I'm going to be intimate with you, and I'm going to be your friend. And you have to recognize only one person, as far as we know, had actually given his life to God and repented of his sin. It was Levi. All the other disciples, are, excuse me, all the other tax collectors are still in their sin, never having repented, and Jesus is reclining with them. Which gives me hope for two reasons. Number one, it reveals the mission. It's not the healthy and the doctor, it's the sick. We now, Jesus is our model, says, please don't be afraid of those I created, know intimately and already proveniently with my grace, moving in their life. Don't classify people as unclean and dirty and stop disassociating with them because you think you're going to be tainted and fall away from me. Jesus does not believe that one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. The only time in Scripture he says that is in the book of Corinthians. Read it for yourself. I can't remember exactly where it is. He only says it to the, to the immature. He says, well, you're too immature to go hang out with the sinners, so you probably shouldn't do it because they will affect you. But for the mature, I want you to, as, as pictured by my lifestyle, I want you to go to the sick, the needy, the dying, and the hurting because, well, they're the ones who need me. It's our mission. And the second thing is should be very exciting. Because he names Levi as the worst of the sinners and he runs to him. And I don't know how awesome you think you are, but you're not. I am not either. I am a sinner. I'm saved because God loved me. I didn't do anything to earn it. And so I sit there and go, well, the only thing that separates me from you, Levi, is the fact that God has redeemed me. He's traded old for new. So I'm not better than you. I'm not better than you. I am loved by God and he can love you. 
The second thing he does, and I love this part that we've done, he, he redefines purity. He redefines purity in the story. Jesus came teaching the kingdom of God. The Pharisees came and taught the kingdom of God. They had the same message. The difference is the Pharisees said this. We teach the kingdom and receiving it. Excuse me. We teach the kingdom and we recognize those who are part of it. Well, they're the ones who are pure, who are walking in purity, who have pulled away from things that are unclean and impure. And they get angry because Jesus says, well, actually, those very people that you deem as impure, I'm giving the best part of who I am to them every day. And so Jesus comes and he 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 redefines purity in this way. In a sense, Jesus is saying purity. Listen, purity is not primarily about avoiding impurity and abstaining from sin. Instead, purity is found in what you do on behalf of Jesus and those who are in need. What do I mean by that? Well, simply this. Jesus said the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. God, God, who is my neighbor? Well, it's those that are in prison. It's the story of the sheep and the goats. When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you in prison and visit you? It says, as you did to the least of these, you've done to me. As we get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, did you love me? And did you love my neighbor, love your neighbor? He's not going to ask you, did you drink? Did you smoke? Did you cuss every now and then? He's not going to ask you that. He wants to know, did you love me and love my neighbor? And so the idea then for purity comes to redefine this. says purity is less about abstaining and purity is primarily about giving my life away. And what that simply means for us in the context of Jesus, it gives us this fresh perspective that God, I'm going to live. Listen, this is important. How many of us, because we view sin as the primary context of how we're doing with Jesus? So we live every day going, God, did I sin today? Do I need to repent of something? Was, was I a bad boy today? Are you angry with me because I looked at that person wrong? Because I did that. I'm sin conscious as a primary lifestyle. Or am I primarily conscious of loving Jesus, receiving his love for me, and loving those that are in need? Do you see the difference in that? Do you live your life more conscious of sin or more conscious of Jesus' grace, mercy, compassion, and love for you that he wants to pour out through you? Do you see that? That's what we're seeing here, perspective shift. The Pharisees couldn't get that. Like, no, 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 it's about, it's about purity. It's about it's getting away from those who are dirty and unclean. It's about getting over here and, and being perfect because that's what it means to be a follower. We can't be tainted by the oh, bad people, bad people. Jesus says, they're the ones who need me. And really, you are one of them. You're not better than they are. You see, purity, here's the point about sin. For those of you who are like, oh my gosh, what about sin, Steve? I would simply say this. Sin is what you have to be aware of because it separates you from God. So we, we choose to not fall into sin, but I want to be intimate with him. But the primary agenda of our life is to love him and to give our life away. It's, a, it's not the healthy, we need a doctor, 
It is the sick. And so in our lives, in this place, right, this perspective shift that God's calling us to, he's saying, I love you. I have always loved you. I have run to you. I am your father. I have redeemed you. I have set you free from the power of sin and death. And I've created you into a new creation. Therefore, you don't have to live sin conscious as the primary lifestyle and the primary way that you live your life and thinking about how it pleases me. What pleases me is that you love me and you love my neighbor. And when you get to heaven and when I run to you because I love you and we embrace and we weep because it's okay to weep over that type of good stuff in heaven, right? We're going to weep together and laugh and we're going to jump around in circles and have a great time together. I'm going to say, well done, not just because you abstained. I'm going to say, well done, because you gave your life to me and you let me live my life through you to those who were in need and who were sick and in need of a physician. So this morning, we're going to respond. It's already time to worship. So I don't know who's leading worship. Chris, if you're doing our harvest, you can go ahead and come up. But this morning, we're going to simply respond to this. The blossoming, the blooming, the work of God, right? It's all... You coming up, Jason? Oh my gosh, right? But look at this whole work of God, right? This whole work of God, this movement of, of perspective shift, this movement from sin consciousness to the love of God consciousness. Yes, I'm aware of sin, but I'm fully aware of God's mercy, power, love, and grace. I'm aware of His movement. I'm aware of His salvation. I'm aware of God. I'm not going to now live my life defined by not sinning. I'm going to live my life defined by the power of God's grace in me to move in me, to love me, and then to move through me. And so, God, I'm going to focus on You because, God, You've called me to be a physician. You've called me to focus on You. You've called me to growth and maturity, Father God, so that I can then be the the doctor and the physician to those that are in need. And some of us this morning are so caught up every day primarily gazing at our sin that we can't actually see the love of the Father. Because here's the thing about it. If all, listen, this is important. If all that my girls did every day was walk up to me and tell me all their sins and make me and feel bad about it and feel condemned and feel like I'm angry with them and to feel frustrated and only focus on their sin, how they've hurt me, that would devastate me. Because I don't tell them what they've sinned about today. I tell them how much I love them. And I tell them sometimes, now I've got to discipline you in the moments. But I don't know about you, I spend more time loving on and playing with and communicating with my girls than I do telling them how bad they are and the sins they've committed. And some of us struggle through a perspective shift on all of that. Why? Because when we all of a sudden shift and say, God, I will probably still sin, but that's not going to define my life. I'm going to look at you and your love for me, your grace in my life, the way that you run to me, the way that you recline with me, the way that you communicate, the way you share your love with me. God, I'm going to focus on all those things because I know that when I do, you move me towards you and all of a sudden I become effective. I become a blossoming flower that those who want to see beauty can look at as they look at me and see the movement of God in my life. So this morning, I want you to respond in some way. Some of us, you just need to say, I need to receive. Ministry teams come forward. I need to receive.